Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 10th and L podcast, brought to you by True North Church in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Philip Coleman, and I am joined today by Megan House. Megan, how are you? I am great. I'm excited to be here, and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, this is going to be a great opportunity for, uh, especially for those who are not involved in kids' ministry, I think, to get to know you a little bit more. Mm-hmm and to learn about some of the upcoming changes that we believe are going to be very positive in the life of our kids' ministry and our church. For those of you just tuning in, uh, last week we had the third of three episodes dealing with the idol of health. I had the opportunity to interview Asia Johannes dealing with mental health Mm -hmm. and specifically talking about how following Jesus and the practices and the way of Jesus build serenity and peace into our lives when oftentimes our culture and the pace at which we live does the exact opposite. Today, Megan and I will be talking about a book that we're very excited to share with parents and volunteers in our kids' ministry, a book called Show Them Jesus by Jack Klumpenhauer. Um, A little disclaimer here, if you are already participating in our book study, or if you intend to, and maybe this is the... um, slap on the back that you needed to take that seriously. (laughs) What Megan and I will not do today is we will not provide sufficient cliff notes to uh, replace you reading through the first section of the book. So Mm -hmm. a little later on, we'll talk about our process, how we're going to be working through the book uh, collectively in small groups, and we'll remind you of the dates that apply to that. But we want to make sure you know on the front end, though we're going to talk highly of the book, hopefully what we'll do is build some excitement and momentum for you personally so that you can pick up a copy and make your way through the first section on your own. So, Megan, I want to throw the ball to you this morning. A lot of us who are listening will already know who you are, will have at least seen you, or we're aware of your story from the website. But I would love for you to briefly share with us a little bit of your upbringing and testimony. What do you do now? And if you want to talk about sort of the road you've walked to get here, and why do you care about kids? Awesome. Thank you. Um, So I was born and raised in Southern California, and I actually lived in the same home from the time I was born until the day I got married, so a span of 23 years. Mm. Um, As a young kid growing up, I did not know Jesus. Um, He just was always kind of a name that I kind of heard, didn't really know too much about. I did attend a Christian preschool when I was four years old, um, but that was really my only touch uh, at church and Um, it just wasn't, yeah, it just was not a part of my life yet. Um, as a young kid, I was always told by adults, people around me, you should be a teacher. You're good at whatever they would, they would list. I would, you're good at talking to kids. You have fun with kids, you, whatever their reasoning was. Um, and I did, I heard that a lot of times growing up as a teenager as well. I did the teenage thing, teenage girl thing, I should say. Uh, babysat. I was a camp counselor during summertime for our local community center. Um, but at that point, I just was not ready to say that kids are my thing. Mm-hmm. Teaching is my thing, mm-hmm. air quotes. Um, when I was in college, I volunteered for a semester through a humanities class that I had. I volunteered in a preschool. And within the first weeks, two weeks probably, I felt at home. I really felt that, wow, this is what I need to be doing. Mm. Um, so even even though I didn't yet have a relationship with Jesus, with God yet, um, it was still, I, it, I realize now that it was his, his gentle, loving way of showing me, this is where I want you. And now I can realize that. And that's something that I can share with people who are not uh, maybe do not know Jesus yet, mm-hmm. um, but they can they can know that even though I wasn't there yet, God was there. God was faithful, and God was the one that said, 
this is where I want you. This is where you need to be. Um, now I'm the director of kids, True North Kids. Uh, my biggest job is organizing volunteers in our six classrooms every Sunday morning. It's a big job. Yes, it is. But I'm blessed to do it. I'm thankful for it. One of my absolute favorite things is putting two volunteers together and knowing their gifts, knowing their yeah their gifts, their talents that God has given them, and seeing them come together, work together, and complement each other. Hmm. It really is an amazing thing to see. And again, I'm absolutely the one that's blessed to get to see it. Um, when you say, why do I care about kids? Gosh, I can say that they are a heritage from the Lord, right? From Psalm 127. Mm-hmm. They are the heritage. They are the gift. And they deserve to not just be babysat on Sunday morning. That's not what we do in kid classes. That's we right. don't babysit them for free. <laughs> But we, we meet them where they are. That has been my fervent prayer over the past year is that we meet them as volunteers, as parents, as children who are, I'm sorry, as teachers who recognize children as a heritage, a gift from the Lord, that we can meet them where they are and yeah, just continue to be the love, the voice of, of Jesus in, in their lives. And that's an amazing gift. It's something that... I never would have imagined years ago or even before I had my own children too. So Philip, you are the lead pastor of the church now, and I know you have some background with kids, and you do, I'm thankful that you do um, come and teach in a kid class when you're not preaching on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. Um, So what is your experience with kids, and why were you so excited for our staff, our church staff, to work through a kid ministry book in the last year. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, so my first full-time job was at summer camp, mm-hmm. and I worked primarily with third through ninth graders. And uh, the reason I loved that job is because in the summers between semesters of college, I had already worked at that camp for usually 10 to 11 weeks every summer. And so mm-hmm. you add in a couple weeks of training, and I was there for you know three, three and a half months of wow. every year. And I loved it. It was my favorite part. Um, the camp I worked at had a really strong culture. And the negative of that was a lot of times when I was at school, I wasn't immersed in that culture. I wasn't around people who really cared about anything as mm. much as we all cared about camp. And that made me a little bit maybe overzealous at times. Yeah. Um, but when I had the opportunity to be a part of a full-time camp staff and to travel the United States and recruit college students to interview them personally, Um, I felt a greater responsibility as sort of a gatekeeper for the sake of their safety, both physically and spiritually. Mm -hmm. And I think that working through that for me has stuck with me. I mean, even all the way back to high school, um, I was always participating in mission trips, as is often the case now, even when we receive mission teams from the lower 48. A primary emphasis is gathering kids and working with those kids. Puppet shows, balloon animals, Mm -hmm. back in the... Uh, Early 2000s, it was dramas, you know, we play a CD in the CD player and Mm -hmm. act out some terrible calamity that happened in a person's (laughs) life and Jesus would show up and save the person, which is great. It it worked for people. It clicked with them. Um, But that was all my ministry experience was working with kids. And I really enjoyed doing that. The summer after my senior year of high school, I knew that I was going to be going to college to do uh, a degree in Christian leadership. And so I took an internship at the church that I had grown up at, Mm -hmm. and I worked primarily with children. And I remember Mm -hmm. the the lady's name, um, 
uh, was Suzanne Walker. Probably still, I mean, she, I think she's still with us, but she was at <laughs> Moberly Baptist Church in Longview, Texas. Mm. This would have been 2009. And uh, as, as an intern, it was me and three other high school students who just graduated, getting ready to go to college. And we were the guinea pigs. The church had never done an internship before. It was a pretty big church, a few thousand members. And I think that was kind of in vogue at the time was mm. to create a member, an internship. And we got paid a little bit and we probably played more than we should have. But anyway, I was tasked with kids ministry first. We were on a rotation basis where across the summer we would be serving, I think, like two or three weeks in each area, which mm. you are a kids ministry director. You can figure out pretty quickly that only having somebody for three weeks is almost worse than not having them at right, all. Right. But anyway, mm. so I get thrust right into your responsibility is to be the large group teacher for all the kids. The way that that church did kids ministry is there'd be somebody on a stage in the gymnasium. The kids would all sit on these big round rugs with their kind of small group leader. And then I would teach the story or whoever was on that week. Mm -hmm. And then we had questions prepared that we would give out to the teachers and that they would discuss. And not only was it my responsibility to communicate the story, which I was given a curriculum to follow, so it wasn't totally just you know my bad ideas from the <laughs> stage. But I also had to come up with the questions. And I remember oh, that wow. that was the hardest part, and it's probably the thing that sparked in me a desire to be very intuitive in my teaching. Mm. Because I would ask these questions that felt automatic to me based on the time I had spent with the Scripture personally, but they had very little to do with the actual teaching I had done because I was following this curriculum for teaching. And so I realized there's kind of a big gap sometimes in kids' ministry between what a grown-up can acknowledge is happening and is very helpful and spiritual in nature and the kind of physical-only storytelling that we do with kids a lot of times. And, and I felt some conviction. I've always felt this way, working with kids when I was in high school, again, working at summer camp every summer, mm -hmm. that kids have a lot more potential than we really give them credit for. Amen. And I love this about the way that you lead, is you don't dumb things down, you don't try to, this is a gross analogy, but you don't just chew all the food and then spit it, you know, <laughs> like a baby bird into the kids' mouths. We keep a high standard for our kids in behavior and in their ability to understand and digest the scriptures as well. And so coming into a lead pastor role, my prior position to this, which I had between summer camp and this job, was to be a family pastor. And so I didn't teach kids directly. I did at VBS and things like that. But I was over all of the kids' ministry, and I had had so many challenging conversations with really faithful women, typically moms or grandmas, who wanted to serve the church by being able to communicate the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to kids. But the way they would do it was so behavior emphasis oriented. It was yes. so... If you believe this, then you will do these things. Almost like you got to prove it. Right. And as a pastor now of a church that's a lot of young people, the primary um, lie that I feel like I have to unravel for people who are in their 20s and 30s is they believe that the gospel is somewhat performance-oriented, yes. that they have to try, they have to prove themselves to God, or if they don't now, they had to before. And you know, in this mm -hmm. concept of grace and mercy is a word that they have probably sung in songs a lot in church, mm -hmm. but they don't really understand what it means to be freely given everything that they need, regardless of their performance. And so uh, a year ago, we reached the end of, I can't remember the order that we read these. Did we read this before the hermeneutics book or after? After. Okay, so this was kind of our palate cleanser. Yeah, <laughs> so sidebar here, uh, we, we sort of rotate as a staff. We, tr we try to always be reading a book together and processing new concepts, even stuff that we may not necessarily agree with right away. And I recommended that we all go through a seminary-level hermeneutics textbook, and we did it. 
And someday I'll have Tyler Wolf on the podcast, and he'll just for 40 minutes he'll just say mean things about this book that he hated reading. But he did it. He was faithful. We all made it through. I think we all learned a little bit as we went through it. For sure, it helped us. So Megan had the great idea of giving us something way more readable after that. And when we got Show Them Jesus, I'd never heard of Jack Klumpenhauer. He's the author. I'd never heard an interview with him. He's not highly promoted, you know, on the social media stuff that I follow. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, opening the book, I thought, great, we're going to read this. Everybody kind of paid the price. They were willing to do the hermeneutics thing. (laughs) So we'll read this. Even if it's not my favorite, we'll read it. No big deal. And, I mean, even the people who have promoted it, they're people you would know if you were in family ministry, but they're not your big name, heavy hitter, celebrity pastors. Mm -hmm. And that's okay, but it meant that I had not heard a lot about it. When we got to chapter three of this book... Um, I went from open and willing to aggressively excited. Mm -hmm. I have quoted chapter three, and if you're reading the book, if you're working through it, hopefully you've made it that far. Jack titled the chapter, The Quote Gospel Day Trap. And he says, because the good news is for church kids too. Then he quotes Richard Sibbs, and I love this quote. Richard said, it is the end of our ministry to bring the soul and to bring Christ together and to let no debts and to let no sins hinder that. Mm. And I thought, that is the solution, man. That goes against every kind of kids' training and teaching that I feel like I've ever been exposed to, with the rare exception of a few individuals who would be a part of a program that was maybe a moralistic or behavior-oriented program, and these guys would just swim upstream with the kids and teach the gospel anyway, which is great. But I'd never seen a church holistically embrace that concept. Um, And I'm going to throw the ball back to you in just a second, Megan, but I want to make one more comment here. Um, For those who are listening who are parents, if I can encourage you, I know we are concerned with our kids knowing the Bible, and we should be. I know we are concerned with them memorizing Scripture, and we should be. But I try to tell any parent who ever gives me an opportunity to influence them, and I'm a parent myself that doesn't make me an expert, but you know, our kid is alive, so we know some of what we're doing decently well, um, <laughs> that if your child graduates from high school and the only thing that they know is that Jesus is who he said he was, mm. they're going to be fine. The challenge will be, and Jack gets into this in multiple chapters, is if they know everything but that, and they never really grasp that concept, and so they build a religious framework. Our culture, our world has categories for religion, so they can be encouraged and reinforced by people who aren't even Christians. The unique gift that we have as grown-ups, and the reason I'm so excited for our church to go through this book, is because we, as Jesus followers, can show Christ, the person, the works, the teaching, the love, in a way that nobody else can in our kids' lives. That is our golden opportunity. That is what is on the plate for us every time we come on a Sunday morning, prepared to teach kids, every time we, our kid comes to us in our own home, if we're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, and they say, why did God do X, Y, and Z? A big one in our house lately has been, my daughter will say, why does God make some people do bad things? Mm. Well, that's not a very good question. And I could just say, <laughs> he doesn't, you're wrong, or I can go... I wonder how I can communicate to my daughter that there is choice available for people while still maintaining that God is in control because that's where we derive a lot of our hope and safety. And what does Jesus have to do with that? And those kinds of recategorizations in my head are a product of this book. Mm -hmm. So, Megan, I want to ask you, can we get into the book a little bit here? How did you find this book? How soon did you realize it was going to be important for our kids' ministry? And then if you want to speak to... Any highlights, any particular portion that jumped off the page to you, go for it. For sure. Um, so I uh, subscribed, I think that's the word, um, to a um, Facebook page for um, kid ministry directors. And by far, 
when the question is comes on the page, oh, I'm a brand new, my church just hired me as the director of kids, or I'm the brand new kid ministry director, or I was just thrown into this, what do I do? The biggest question was, uh, what books do I read? What books can you all recommend to me to get my feet wet, to get me started, and by a huge majority, show them Jesus always, always, always came up as an answer. And so I went, okay, well, these people know what they're talking about. So I looked it up on Amazon. It got great reviews, great uh, feedback. And so I bought it and I read it and I couldn't put it down. It was one of those that I could almost highlight every sentence or at least two sentences on every page type book. Um, And that's okay to do. If you have a book right now, and you are reading the uh, you're reading Show Them Jesus. You have that copy of the book. Use the highlighter. Use the pen. It's great. It's a great uh, resource to to have to mm-hmm. use. Mm-hmm. Um, so after we finished the wonderful hermeneutics book, Philip asked for suggestions for the next book, and I said I did hesitate because I thought I'm really excited about this book about Show Them Jesus. But I'm also the kid ministry director. Hmm. Why would Philip be excited about it? Why would Josh Mangum be excited about it? Why would Tyler be excited about it? So I kind of did a, well, I have this this book, and it's really good, so let's give it a try. And I was, like I said, I, I kind of sounded that way, kind of hesitant. Um, but I, I don't even know if I saw the full potential in it yet, and I don't know if the Holy Spirit wasn't letting me see that full potential in it yet either hmm. until we started going through this book um, as a staff. So I think that, yeah, there's just an amazing amount of, there's uh, this humility in this book. It's never Jack Klumpenauer, the, the author. It's never him saying, well, if you've ever done this in a Sunday school classroom or a kid classroom, then you really shouldn't be in teaching kids. No, no. That's not what he does. He says, here are some mistakes that I made. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've made these same mistakes too, but Jesus is why it's okay. Jesus is why it's okay that you've made these mistakes. Jesus' perfection, it's about his perfection, not your perfection. Right. And I think that we don't get that anywhere else, right? Our culture is all about you have to look the right way. You have to say the right thing Mm -hmm. every single Mm -hmm. time. You have to wear the right clothes. You have to drive the right car. You have to make so much money at the right perfect job. It's never about, it's never about Jesus. And yeah, like to, to what you said too, Philip, is that if that's the number one thing or the only thing that our children come out of school with and go off to the world, go off to college with, then that's what they need. That is what they need. That is the number one, yeah, the only thing, I should say. Yeah, and if I can jump in for just a second, I think Mm. that sometimes as parents, we take the scripture uh, that deals with training a child up in the way that they should go, and we think that, man, that training has to be holistic, it has to be, you know, that we have to find a way to almost Christianize normal stuff that people do. Like, we have to Christianize every meal, we have to Christianize brushing our teeth, we have to Christianize doing our chores, we have to appeal to God all the time in our home, like, well, if we really love God, then we'll do this, and God really wants us to obey. 
And I think that it's important for parents to remember that God has invested authority into you. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, be very careful that you're not accidentally, though you would never say it in these words, are you treating God, are you speaking about God as if he's just sort of the principal in the principal's office? Because yes. one of the things that Jack will do is he'll emphasize the person and work of Jesus is grace. It's mm-hmm. grace and mercy oriented. It's not or else, or make sure you do this, or something bad might happen to you, or if you really want to be in, then you'll really try hard. Um, and so that's jumped off the page to me, too, because every chapter, Jack will give instruction for parents. He'll give instruction for grandparents, for people who know kids, for any Christian anywhere, and then for those that are teaching in a kid's classroom. And I, I loved that consistently he moved us away from treating God like the big, bad, angry judge in the mm-hmm. sky, even if we accidentally do that in the interest of bringing God into our household. We want to bring the mercy of God into yes. our household, not yes. the judgment of God right. into our household. Right. So what specifically then jumped off, or I'm sorry, struck a chord with you, Philip, about Show Them Yeah, as I was reading. Okay, so I mentioned chapter three earlier. I want to read an excerpt from it. And Mm -hmm. again, this is not enough for you that are supposed to read this book. Read the book. Here's what Jack says. This is uh, page 43. So if you have a copy of the book and you didn't already highlight this, I bet you did. Um, I just want to speak to you briefly about the Gospel Day Trap. uh, Jack says this. He says, the Gospel Day Trap happens... When we think of the good news as very important, critical to salvation, Mm -hmm. but as something that only some kids need to hear some of the time. There are two problems that result from this kind of thinking. First, those few times each year that we quote-unquote present the gospel, they become artificial and we force it. Mm -hmm. And then I love this. This has been my experience, man. I grew up in church. I felt this existential dread every Thursday of Vacation Bible School Mm. for 12 years, okay? He says the kids feel pressure. And as in Lara's case, using he's referencing an example he gave earlier in the chapter, the teacher feels pressure as well. So instead of announcing the gospel with joy, like the angel did to the shepherds in Luke, we use a tone that builds tension. The good news, which ought to be able to make the heart glad, instead makes the stomach uncomfortable. Mm. And by treating it as quote-unquote special, we sabotage the chance for kids to receive it happily. Everyone quickly learns that the good news means pressure and that the other topics make for more fun groups and classes, and that's the trap. Now, part two, this means that church kids, those who we assume are doing fine because they're from Christian homes and because they go to church, this means that they seldom hear the good news. Mm -hmm. For any message to make a life-changing impression usually takes hearing it again and again, and that's Mm -hmm. why I made the point that I made earlier about your kid only grabbing onto Jesus is who he says he is. Jack goes on to say this is doubly true with the good news. Because we all have a sinful nature inclined to prove ourselves rather than to trust Jesus. Mm -hmm. Kids who only hear the good news a little tend to become kids who only love and trust Jesus a little. Mm. Wow. If that doesn't hurt, if that doesn't hurt to hear, man, I mean, that is such a helpful (laughs) Mm -hmm. rule of thumb in... In parenting, in teaching, I mean, even for me as a preacher from the stage, I know Josh Mangum has said that this book has impacted his ability to teach and preach to teenagers as well as the gathered church at large. What we emphasize is what we demonstrate to people as the most important. And we can say once a year, it's all about Jesus on Easter. Mm -hmm. You know, we laugh about that. Do we only talk about Jesus' death on Easter? If we do that, then we're really telling people Jesus only needs one fifty-second of your of your time, because we're only mm-hmm. going to talk about him one week out of the year, you know? Right. And so I love the the other side of that coin, which is as a pastor who tries to bring Jesus up every week, it's almost harder to emphasize Easter. It, we're kind of like, well, you know, we do this every week, so yeah, we'll talk specifically through the story, and we'll celebrate that today is our day to remember the specifics of his death and resurrection, but mm-hmm. it's fun how 
uh, getting away from the gospel day trap helps us uh, to to make Jesus normal, mm. to, not, not to normalize him, not such that we bring his standards down, but such that bringing him up becomes normal for us. Mm. And I'll just say quickly, Megan, that this is a part of why uh, we've wrestled with in the past couple of years, whether True North needs to participate in a vacation Bible school. You know, we're currently meeting at First Baptist Church, and we love that partnership and cooperation. We certainly wouldn't tell any parent not to take their kid to Vacation Bible School. We've platformed uh, summer camp out in the valley. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important that any parent know that in the DNA of probably 95% of kids' programs is a big single-day emphasis on did you pray the prayer of salvation, especially in the Mm -hmm. evangelical context, Mm -hmm. which we find ourselves in here in Alaska. And so... Um, you know, as a parent, I don't think that means we should avoid those settings necessarily, but we should have our kids probably coached up and ready to go, mm. knowing in advance, you know, there may be a well-meaning adult mm. who makes you feel really bad about the stuff you've done wrong. Yeah. They're not wrong, but you don't have to necessarily fall into that pit that's kind of been, you know, placed under the leaves for you. At the same time, we have to be careful as parents, and I have this conversation all the time as a pastor, that we temper our expectations, and when our child is genuinely saved— we're ready to celebrate that and not so worried about whether it's false or true that we take away their responsibility and opportunity to be baptized, to make that public, to begin to walk in faith. So, sure. Megan, wow. we passed out the book uh, on August 15th, which mm-hmm. at the time of this recording was yesterday, but people won't hear this for a couple weeks. Yep. Our first discussion is scheduled for Sunday, September 26th. So if you did not know that and you're listening to this, I'm going to say it to you again. You may want to write it down, put it in your phone. Sunday, September 26th, the last Sunday in September, is our first discussion. Would you share with us, Megan, what should people expect from that discussion time? And regarding the first five chapters of the book, which are section one, that's what we'll be discussing that Sunday, what are some things that you hope will stick out to people uh, that they may come ready to discuss that morning? Sure. So as far as what we should expect on our discussion time, um, we're going to do what's called a roundtable discussion. So everybody will have the chance to not only ask questions, but answer each other's questions, right? Um, We will be able to, gosh, just, I think, sit down and pick each other's brains and really learn from not only the text, but how we, how each of us perceive the text and internalize the text. Um, there is, there's so much opportunity from this book to teach and to share and to learn from each other. And I think that's what I'm probably most excited about. I definitely have seen volunteers on Sunday mornings say, wow, this, um, this uh, curriculum, this um, Bible lesson for this week, it was really challenging to me because, or I'm really excited to teach this to the kids this morning because. So you guys are already doing that. The kid volunteers are already doing that. So to be able to sit down and have this roundtable discussion on the 26th of September for part one of the book, I think will bring even more than I'm even expecting right now. I know it's the same in the same vein as teaching kids is that not only will I be able to teach and instruct, but I will learn too. And that's invaluable. And so I'm really, really excited about that. Um, What I hope jumps out from section one, I quoted or I highlighted a quote um, from chapter four. It's on page 76 of, of Show Them Jesus. It says, kids will need correction sometimes, but our mission, our volunteer mission, is not to hound or plead, or talk kids into anything. 
it is to speak God's word of salvation, peace, faith, and the righteousness Christ gives. These are things that Paul calls the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil from Ephesians 6, 11. There isn't really much to say after that, right? <laughs> I think yeah. that there's so much of this book that just, it's almost a mic drop to be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit uh, of the world about it. Um, but yeah, there are so many parts of, of, um, of the whole chat of the whole book of the first section that just, it makes you think and you think about, uh, you think about what you read and internalize it for the, even the next time that you go in and talk to a kid about Jesus or you teach a kid class, um, on Sunday morning, there's so much of that, that, yeah, I think that our, our kid volunteers will absolutely, um, be thankful for the book. Eve, it's a, yeah, I, I know I am. I'm thankful for, for Mr. Klumpenhauer to have um, put this out there and been brave enough to talk about his mistakes as a Sunday school teacher, kid class teacher, um, so that we can, we can learn from him. Absolutely. And as far as the format goes, you talked about roundtable discussions. And uh, the reason we're doing that is because we don't need you, if you are listening to this and you're going to participate in those discussions, we don't need you to come to those discussions fully convinced. No. This is a new concept. This is very different from how most kids' ministries function. Yeah. It's subtle, but it's a cultural level difference. It's not so much what we do in the classroom, but what our attitude and perspective is on what we're teaching. Mm -hmm. And so if that's a challenge for you, especially as Jack makes specific points, I know in chapter 5, he pushes against teaching morality from Bible stories and instead mm -hmm. trying to connect it to Jesus and tells a great story of how he was teaching uh, the story of Queen Esther one Sunday, mm. which is riddled with violence and sex, and a mom asked if she could sit in. And I love this story because I'm reading it and thinking, oh, no, 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 no. Even as a preacher, there are times where I get a little bit skittish on what the Bible is bringing up, and I'm going, is everybody ready for this? Does everybody know? But I love that in his example, and I'm stealing his thunder a little bit, but he says <laughs> the mom stuck around to the end of the teaching. She wasn't upset. And as the kids discussed how the weight of the world makes it harder and harder to follow Jesus as you get older, the mom asked if she could speak at the end. And, the, and Jack was like, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> and so she ends up looking all the kids in the eye and saying, take it from me, a person mm. with a career, this will only get harder for you. Yes. The Bible knows you. It knows that the people around you want you to compromise. They don't want you to be different from the world. They want you to be exactly like everybody else, to have the same values, to bow down to the same idols. And if you refuse to do that, even if you do it with kindness and you're not combative about it, it's going to get harder and harder and harder. And I thought, what a really cool way to consider that probably as adults, we already know these things. But Jack gives us permission to bring those mature themes like who Jesus is and what he really did and how he changes your life mm -hmm. into the realm of children, not waiting for them to get to a certain age where maybe we think that they've developed enough to, to grasp these concepts, but in the same way that we teach our little children manners at the table, how to make their bed, how to take care of the pets, you know, how to say yes and no. We need that same level of repetition from a young age with the deepest and most valuable truths from the scriptures. So I want to read one more quote to you guys. I know Megan did that briefly. I want to read from page 92. At the end of every chapter, Jack gives us some questions as perspectives mm -hmm. on things to work on, depending on what category of person you are, parent, grandparent, teacher. And so he says, uh, he expects some people will be asking at the end of chapter five, you seem awfully willing to include sex and violence in Bible stories for young kids. Is that wise? 
And then Jack's response is this. He says two big concepts. One, it's good to remain as faithful as possible to the whole Bible account because that's how God gave it. And I agree with that, Mm -hmm. but that's still a little scary for some of us. Mm -hmm. But two is very helpful because he gives us the why behind that. He says, it's better if kids' early exposure to the cruelty or the wickedness of this world comes through the Bible, where God's story of healing and forgiveness is also told. It may be challenging to discover violence in the Bible for the first time, but it's much more challenging to discover it without the Bible. He says, I let kids see how God is in control of death and pain and even man's cruelty and how God is rescuing us from these things in Jesus. The Bible is bloodstained. Its accounts of sin and gruesomeness are a serious barrier to teaching it to kids unedited. Mm -hmm. I see no reason to subject them to any of it unless I am using it to teach about the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, Megan, as we land the plane here, we're coming to the end of our recording time. Um, I just want to give you an opportunity to throw kind of one last thought at us. Um, I'll ask you to go first, and then when you're done, I just want to briefly explain kind of my expectations and why I'm excited that we're going to walk through this book one more time. All right, great. Uh, Again, I'm going to go back to the book and the words (laughs) of Jack. Um, But this is a quote from uh, the introduction um, on page two. It says, Jesus tells us that the work of proclaiming God's kingdom is dangerous. It takes courage. It demands earnest prayer. It's more about faith than giftedness. And it requires no resources other than those God provides. It's a high stakes spiritual battle using supernatural weapons. Anyone who's willing to engage the fight on this level is needed for the cause. Such an adventure will reap a rare mix of power, humility, and wide-eyed joy. Isn't that amazing? It gives me chills every time <laughs> thinking about it. What an amazing task that the Lord has given us and doesn't just leave us, but he stays with us mm-hmm. every day, every mm-hmm. second of every day. And that's what I'm so excited for our kid volunteers to see, to experience, and the parents as well. Very good. And for me, I think uh, what this book will do in summary is it will give grown-ups who love Jesus the permission to talk about him every week yes. and to still receive a curriculum that's helpful and to get some study notes and to have, you know, to do their best to make sure that they somewhat understand the video that will play in the classroom, any activities that are going to happen. We're not replacing mm-hmm. those things. Mm-mm. But as a person who, as you mentioned earlier, Megan, sometimes serves in a kid's class, mm-hmm. It can be necessary some weeks, regardless of how good the curriculum is, to step in and say, I want to make sure you guys understand what this actually has to do with you. We're not just supposed to try harder. We're not just supposed to do better. Why do we do those things and how are we able to? The person and work of Jesus. Do you know him? Do you love him? Have you heard about him lately? Has anybody ever explained how they met him to you? You know. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes as kids, uh, kids class volunteers, we feel, and this is of no fault of yours. It's just the way <laughs> kids class curriculums work everywhere, all over the world. Mm-hmm. We feel the pressure to stick so closely to the script that we end up staying away from what is really the most valuable and important part of our walk with God, which is our relationship with Jesus. And mm-hmm. so, I think that for parents, grandparents, teachers in the classroom, aunts, uncles, you know, we have a fair number of young single people that serve in our kids' classes. Mm -hmm. This is a great experience for them as well. Uh, It's a chance to remember anytime we gather, anytime we open God's word, we are looking for the person and work of Christ, his grace, 
his mercy and his love. Mm-hmm. So thanks for joining us today. Again, if you're listening, uh, we're going to wrap it up for now. I'll let you know that next week we're going to do our second mailbag episode, a Q&A. It'll be just me answering your questions. So any questions that you have about the church, my life personally, ministry, the Bible, culture, whatever. I'll do my best to answer those. We've collected a handful of those across the last couple of months, but it's not too late to submit those and let us know what's on your mind. Uh, You can always submit questions, comments, uh, corrections, clarifications, anything like that to info, I-N-F-O, at truenorthalaska.com. Make sure you use the subject line podcast questions so that we can find your questions and respond to them quickly. As always, church, we love you. We are here for you, and we hope this has been an encouragement. We'll see you soon.